uh, we have been taking a look at the fruit of the Spirit, and we are to kindness in our series. Uh, all of you in the worship folder have an insert, and on one side is the Scripture passage or passages, uh, as the case may be this morning. And then on the flip side is the outline. And so we're coming to kindness. Uh, we have worked through love, joy, peace, uh, patience. And just by way of introduction, and this is something that we want to, we want to say week in and week out so that we can always be on the same page. There's a difference between what you might call moral reformation and spiritual or supernatural heart transformation. Uh, Paul says in Galatians 5.23, against such things there is no law after he lays out the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, these traits, that is the, the traits of the fruit of the Spirit, are not the result, we want to say, of kept rules, but they result in kept rules. Okay, So it's not as though if you keep the rules, you get fruits of the Spirit. No, the fruit of the Spirit comes, and as the fruit of the Spirit comes and begins to indwell you, then the rules, so to speak, or obedience flows from that. Uh, a statement I found uh, a couple of weeks ago that I, I thought was really, really amazing as it relates to this goes like this. Christian character is not merely an, a new external behavior that we try to capture and internalize, but rather something planted in the believer which grows and flourishes through the means of grace. And I know that uh, we have said this several times. Drew, I know, has. I have as well. Uh, notice Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is. That is, it's all one thing. These are, these are all different facets or different aspects of the same thing. Uh, and they grow up together. They're all interconnected. So it's not as though you can be full of joy, uh, but not kind. It's not as though you can be a patient person, uh, but not a loving person. Or, you know, I'm full of peace, but I'm not very gentle. Okay, they all flow together. Uh, and so, again, we need to uh, remember that as we're working through the various fruit of the Spirit. Uh, let me read then as we uh, as we come to uh, the passage this morning on your outline. We're going to be reading from Galatians and then one little bit from 1 Corinthians 13 and then from 1 John 3. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. And then from 1 John 3. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, 
How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Uh, As we come this morning to the the outline, uh, it's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Uh, If you were here a few weeks back uh, when I went through joy, um, it's very similar. We're going to take a look at kindness, what I'm calling gospel kindness, because hopefully I'm going to show you there's a difference between what we normally consider to be kind or nice and what the gospel produces in us, what the fruit of the spirit of kindness produces. What are the opposites of it or the obstacles to it in our lives? And then lastly, how do we get it? How do we become people who practice gospel kindness? Um, as we come, you, you've noticed this morning, uh, the, the, the table. We are going to be having communion. And I want to say at the outset, uh, the kindness of the Lord, the kindness of Jesus produced this, produced this kind of life, produced this result. Uh, and so it gets you thinking along those lines, even as uh, we approach the table, even before we come to it, to get your mind wrapped around it. Uh, and in light of that, we will take a, a mercy offering as we do every month uh, for the work of uh, of the poor in our city uh, and in our world. And uh, what I'm wanting to show you is if you've experienced the love of Christ, uh, it will produce deeds of love or deeds of kindness. Uh, and, not, and, and you see that in the life of Jesus. And that is, we pray, the result of experiencing that uh, as we take our, our offering uh, this morning. So first, what is it? Uh, gospel kindness the greek word uh, and i know we've brought these up numerous times uh, but they are important because they help us kind of get inside what it is paul was talking about what was he meaning what would those who originally have read this understood by the word he was using the greek word actually means practical generosity or empathy and when i say practical generosity what i'm meaning is generosity that is practiced okay that is active that results in something so i can't just say you know i'm a generous person but never actually act on the generosity or the 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 characteristic that i say i'm trying to develop so paul's using a specific word here that means practice generosity active generosity and hopefully uh, you'll see it's love that gets born out into deeds So another way to define kindness is simply to just call it love-induced deeds. If you love someone, then it stands to reason that that love will be worked out in deeds. You will show that you love them by being kind to them. That's what we're talking about. That's the kindness that that the Spirit works into our hearts. Now, do you consider yourself a kind person or a nice person? I mean, by and large. Uh, the, The scary thought is this, in light of looking at this uh, fruit this week, the fruit of kindness is, is dangerous because most people would not characterize themselves as unkind. If you went to downtown Winter Haven tomorrow or uh, sometime this week and you took a poll of 50 people and you asked 50 people, do you consider yourself to be a patient person? Some of them are going to say, yeah, I'm pretty patient. Others, no, very impatient. I have a hard time with patience. But if you polled the same 50 people and asked them, do you consider yourself to be kind? Most of them, most of them, are going to probably say, 
no, I'm a pretty nice person. They're immediately going to replace the word kind with nice. Because we kind of equate the two, at least culturally. Now, listen to the synonyms that uh, dictionary.com thesaurus, very handy tool, uh, listed for kindness. These words, words like compassion, courtesy, delicacy, fellow feeling, sweetness, sympathy, tenderness, understanding. That's a great list of words. Some of you can see yourself in those words. I can't see myself in very many of those. There's a few. Maybe the sweetness one. But the rest of them, no. Certainly not the uh, tenderness. Uh, I struggle with that one. Now, if any of these words characterize you or you think they could characterize you, the next question, kind of as a diagnosis, is to ask why. Okay? Why am I a courteous person? Why am I a delicate or sweet or understanding person? Because you need to get to the underlying motivation behind why you are behaving or why you're doing the things you're doing. I think that's something we've brought out time and time again since we began this series. What's going on in your heart or what's going on in our hearts that results in these behaviors, It results in being kind, results in empathy or practical generosity? Well, really, biblical kindness gets played out in two areas that I, I want to kind of talk through in this is a segue really into the opposite and the obstacles of gospel kindness. First, it plays out interpersonally. And then secondly, it plays out in a community or a social aspect. Now, there's two principles that go along with this. Number one, it is possible to be a kind or nice person and not care at all about the other person. Right? It's possible to be nice and to be nice for yourself. To be self-serving in your kindness. Okay? That's really false kindness. It's a counterfeit. Now, secondly, on a community level or, or, or a bigger social level, it, it's not possible to say you love someone unless your love gets worked out in deeds or in kindness. And the Bible teaches very clearly that an experience of God's grace in your heart will produce deeds of sacrificial kindness to those in need. So what we're going to do is try and flesh out the obstacles to kindness. Why is our love not being worked out into deeds? Why are we selfishly kind so much of the time? And this is very sobering because the Bible says you can do all kinds of religious things, but not practice kindness from the heart. In fact, the Bible would call into question your claim to be a Christian if, if, if that's really all there is. Outward deeds. Uh, listen to Isaiah in chapter 58. Uh, he says, cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression. They seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast? And a day acceptable to the Lord? 
Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the straps of the yoke? To let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Uh, Isaiah here, as well as in several other examples that I could point you to in the Scriptures, would call into question your claim to be a Christian if you are not meeting the needs of those around you. If your love is not getting worked out into deeds. Because Isaiah says, you know, you go to church, you give your money, uh, you, you, you perform acts of worship, he's saying to the people. And yet, you really haven't experienced my grace if it's not getting worked out into uh, deeds of love, deeds of kindness to those around you. So, let's look at opposites, obstacles to this kindness. Again, it's possible to be a nice person and not really be concerned about the other person at all. And what this is doing is it's, it's, it's our motives. It's exposing our motives. And the light of the gospel needs to be shown on our motives. And if they are selfish, to cause us to repent. First, there is the, I'm nice to you because I want you to like me. I want everyone to be happy. I don't like it when the boat is rocked. Now, some of you can appreciate this or identify with this because you would rather everybody be nice and happy and calm and everything okay than anybody be upset. I don't want the boat to be rocked. Now, uh, and a great illustration of this is uh, it's the summertime and some of you know my wife's a teacher. Right. So in the summertime, she's at home all day with the children. And some days I know it's hard to believe my my children do not obey all day consistently. They do not love one another. They do not serve one another. They do not defer to their mother. Mom, how can we help you today? No, it's a pretty rough day. And so I come in at the end of the day. Or close to the end of the day, uh, Jamie's had a pretty rough day with the kids. I'm about to scream. It, 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 please do something with them. Can you take them somewhere? Go outside, kids. Go play. Go do something. And I come in. I don't want. I don't like it when she's like that. I want her to be happy. So I'm going to be kind, really, because I don't want her to lash out at me. I don't want her to get upset with me. I don't. So I, what can I do? What can I do? You can take them somewhere. Absolutely. So when I come back with them, I'm expecting you to be a whole new person. Nice and calm and cool and collected. But I'm not really serving her in that. I'm serving me. My kindness, my niceness is really all about me. Uh, because I want her to be happy so that she won't get mad at me. I want her to be happy not for her own sake, but for my sake. Right? It's really sick. But we all do it. Well, at least I do it. Maybe you've never done that before. Another way that we're falsely kind or falsely nice is this. I'm nice because I want you to thank me. I want you to be indebted to me. I'm kind so that you'll be kind back. I'm going to be kind to you in this situation or at this particular time so that you'll remember it. So I may even go above and beyond to be really extra kind or nice so that 24 hours later you're going to remember. And then 
Maybe I'll, you know, wink at you. Or maybe I'll subtly draw attention to what I did 24 hours ago and you'll be nice back. I'm kind so that you'll be kind back. So, uh, Jamie has decided she wants to have a girls' night. Me and some friends, we're going to go to the movies. Can I, do you care if I do that? Absolutely not. That's Friday night. Saturday morning. Uh, I just got a call to go play golf. Surely you don't mind if I go play golf. You did, you did go to the movies last night. Okay, you see what I'm doing? Drawing attention back. I was happy for her to do it on Friday night because I knew what was coming Saturday morning. And even if I don't know what's coming Saturday morning and I do get a surprise invitation to play golf, I'm going to rub it right back in her face that she got to do that Friday night. Because I'm not out for her. I'm out for me. Both of these forms of kindness or niceness are really about me, my needs, and my willpower over somebody else. In this case, my wife. Isn't that sick? It's just gross. But not only that, we can cloak our selfish ambitions in terms of kindness, in terms of being nice. And it can really, really mess up relationships. Because this tit for tat, uh, I'll do this so that you can do this, and I'll do this so that you'll do that later, uh, it, it gets exposed down the line. Trust me. I speak from experience. It does get exposed. And so, we need to go underneath, ask difficult questions of ourselves. Why are we kind? Why are we nice? Whether it's to our spouse, whether it's to friends, whether it's to co-workers, however that gets played out in your life, think about areas in which you tend to be self-serving with your kindness. Because it's not really kindness. It's not really uh, at least gospel-produced. Now, that's kind of the interpersonal side. Look at the community side. What are the obstacles to gospel kindness getting worked out in our community or the life of our church or in our church's witness to our community, to Winter Haven? Why does our love not get fleshed out into deeds of kindness? What's holding us back from active love, so to speak? Okay? From love-induced deeds. Well, I came up with two, and there's a long list, and I'm sure you could think of some too, but these are just the ones that I thought of. First is envy. Okay? We don't, we don't, our, our, our love doesn't get worked out into deeds of kindness because our hearts are not freed up uh, to be kind to those around us because we envy what others have. And so here's what happens. I'm unable to focus on anyone else's needs because I'm eaten up with envy about those above me who have more. And so, I can't be generous because my eyes aren't on anyone in need that's below me, so to speak. All I'm doing is focusing in on those who are above me, how much I envy them, how much I can't stand that they have more than me. And so my eyes are fixed on them and I'm jealous. And because my eyes are fixed on them, I'm really blind to anybody over here that might come into need, uh, that, that my life might come in contact with that has need. If you go to 1 John 3, look at verse 17. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Envy being one of the things that really closes my heart off to the needs around me because I'm so focused in on what somebody else has. Covetousness. 
I mean, it's one of the big ten for a reason. Okay? Because it's something that you and I struggle with on a daily, hourly, sometimes even minute-by-minute basis. So envy, one of the ways in which we, uh, and, and ultimately us as a body, can oftentimes uh, not get kindness worked out into our community. That's what's stopping us individually and even as a body because our hearts are not freed up. We are envious of what others around us have. That's all we're focused in on. But not only envy, fear. I can't be kind to those in need around me because I fear that I may not have anything left. Now this is one that some of you can probably uh, identify with. This is one that I struggle with on a regular basis. When fear has gripped our hearts, we are ignoring our call to bear one another's burdens. But I can't bear their burden because i got burdens of my own. And I'm so worried about those burdens that my heart is not freed up to bear someone else's burden. I can't be generous to those around me because I'm so fearful that I may not have enough left over at the end of the day for me. Anybody anybody with me? Anybody relate to that? We, we, We all go through that. And we have to be willing to take on the burdens of those in need. This is one of the most explicit ways that the Bible teaches kindness is displayed. Where's our faith? Jesus asked the disciples this. Why don't we have the faith to do that? Well, we'll get to that uh, in just a minute. Uh, But we have not experienced the fullness of God's kindness to us. Or we have not spent adequate time meditating on that. And if so... uh, We're going to be stingy. We're going to be covetous. We're going to not be freed up out of fear to give to the just the myriad of needs that are around us. Listen to this quote by Jonathan Edwards. He says, In many cases we may, by the rules of the Gospel, be obliged to give to others when we cannot do it without suffering ourselves. If our neighbor's difficulties and necessities be much greater than our own, and we see that he is not like to be otherwise relieved, we should be willing to suffer with him and to take part of his burden on ourselves. Else how is that rule of bearing one another's burdens fulfilled? If we be never obliged to relieve others' burdens, but when we can do it without burdening ourselves, then how do we bear out neighbor's burdens when we bear no burden at all? Do you get his logic? I mean, do you get what he's saying? He's saying you're not bearing a burden unless you're suffering along with the person whose burden you're trying to bear. You can't take on their burden and say, I- I'm going to bear, I-, I-, I want part of that when it's not really burdening or bugging you in the first place. I mean, he's really, he's really challenging us here to take a look at not only our motivations, but what's on the inside of our hearts. And what is gripping our hearts other than the gospel that's preventing us from moving out into kindness, into generosity of those around us. So, how do we become people of gospel kindness? How do we get it? Well, first, we must have an experience of God's kindness that's born out of love. Look at 1 John 3 uh, on your insert once again. Look at verse 16. Okay, this is it right here. Verse 16. By this, we know love. How do we know love? How do we experience love? 
that He laid down His life for us. You and I have not experienced love. We've not experienced the grace of God in Jesus Christ unless we have seen that He has laid down His life for us, that we've experienced that. And then John says, so we ought to then lay down our lives for the brothers. John says we will only know or experience love in seeing Jesus Christ laying down His life for us. And that experience will produce laying down our lives for others. It will produce deeds of love. It will produce gospel kindness. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, just a little bit I had printed in here for you. Love is patient. Love is kind. You and I can only become people who are truly kind, looking to the needs of others before our own when we experience the One who is love personified. You and I will never become people of kindness and practical generosity unless we experience the person of Jesus. Unless we experience love personified in Him. When you become a Christian and the Spirit indwells you, your character begins to change from the inside out. And then your actions toward others begin to change. So it starts in here and begins to work itself out and produces acts or deeds or movement of love. So Paul's list of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, we're beginning to move into some characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit or characteristics of love that are very active. That are producing concrete behaviors that prove or show you and I have been changed by the Spirit. Uh, Paul Miller, who, who, who wrote uh, Person of Jesus Study and has just come out with a, a new book called A Praying Life, uh, is, is, runs a ministry called See Jesus. Uh, he, he has this saying of, he says, you believe the Gospel first. And the more and more and more you believe and have experienced the Gospel, you begin to become the Gospel to those around you. And it's really an insight into what we're talking about here. That the Spirit produces, that love will produce actions that move out toward other people. Now, I want to direct you, if you have a Bible, it's not going to be on the screen, I apologize. But I want to give you an illustration of Gospel kindness from the Scriptures. Uh, And so if you have a Bible and you want to turn to 2 Samuel, I'm going to be in 2 Samuel 9. Okay, and uh, and I'm I'm going to read Second uh, Samuel nine, uh, the first thirteen verses. Well, actually, the whole chapter. The whole chapter is thirteen verses. So listen to this chapter if you don't have a Bible with you. And I want, as I'm reading, for you to consider this: Where are you in this story? Where are you and I in this story? Okay. Second Samuel nine. And David said, "Is there anyone still?" left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amio at Lodebar. 
So King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, Lodibar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I'm your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So he lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. So where are you and I in this story? I want you to get this because a beautiful, beautiful illustration of gospel kindness. And it's in the Old Testament. But notice what David is doing. He comes to almost to the end of his life. And he, for the sake of his best friend, wants to find someone in the house of his enemy to be kind to, to show kindness to. So the king desires to show kindness. Our king desires to show us kindness for the sake of Jesus. The king searches Mephibosheth out. He goes looking for him. Our king comes searching for us. Just read Luke 15. We went over that uh, several weeks back in our series on the parables about being lost and found. Our God searches out that which is lost, just like King David did here. We are crippled and riddled with disease. What does Mephibosheth say when the king comes to him? Who am I that you would consider such a what? Dead dog. He calls himself a dead dog. I mean, that's where he was on the social strata. He was that low. He was crippled. He was a nobody. Do you and I think of ourselves that way? I mean, do you think you're that riddled with sin and disease? But notice what happens. King David, just like our God in Jesus, unconditionally accepts us, makes us His children, he invites us to feast with Him. And He gives us an everlasting inheritance. This guy was a dead dog, crippled nobody. And he goes from being a dead dog, crippled nobody to eating at the king's table to getting an inheritance of land for his family. It's an amazing, amazing turn of events. And you and I, in the Gospel, all because of the kindness of Jesus, we get an everlasting inheritance because it was Jesus who took the cruel unkindness of the Father's wrath so that you and I could get the kindness, the blessing, the smile of 
the Heavenly Father and eat at His table forever. And when you and I experience that, when you and I know love, that He laid down His life for us, it is only as we begin to really meditate on that, to really soak that up, that it will produce deeds of love to those around us. It will get worked out into the nitty-gritty details of our lives. And those who are most ugly, those who are most crippled, those who are most riddled with disease, think about this. The king of Israel searches out a man who would have been homeless, good for nothing, and written off by society. The king searches him out. All for the sake of showing kindness, which was born out of the love he had for his friend. And you and I, in the Gospel, get an experience of grace unlike any other. Unlike anything you'll ever experience. And the the one who experienced the wrath of God so that you and I might experience His love and His mercy and His kindness did it out of love. And when you and I experience that, our hearts will be changed. Uh, I want to close with a, a, a uh, quote from a sermon uh, by a Scottish preacher named uh, Robert Murray McShane. Some of you may have heard of him. Uh, but, but listen to the way that he seeks to motivate his congregation to give. It's a sermon on giving. But I just want you to see the way he motivates his congregation. Not with guilt, but with a gospel motivation. He points them to Jesus. Listen. Now, dear Christians, some of you pray night and day to be branches of the true vine. You pray to be made all over in the image of Christ. If so, you must be like Him in giving. A branch bears the same kind of fruit as the tree. If you be branches at all, you must bear the same fruit. An old divine says, well, what would have become of us if Jesus had been as saving of His blood as some men are of their money? Objection number one, my money is my own. Answer, as Christ Uh, might have said, my blood is my own, my life is my own. No man forceth it from me. Then where should we have been if Jesus would have had that attitude? Objection number two, the poor are undeserving. Answer, Christ might have said the same thing. These are wicked rebels against my Father's law. Shall I lay down my life for these? I will give to the good angels. But no, He left the ninety-nine and came after the lost. He gave His blood for the undeserving. Objection three. The poor may abuse it. Answer. Christ might have said the same. Yea, with far greater truth. Christ knew that thousands would trample His blood under their feet. That most would despise it. That many would make it an excuse for sinning more. And yet, He gave His own blood. Oh, my dear Christians, if you would be like Christ, give much. Give often. Give freely to the vile and the poor, the thankless and the undeserving. Christ is glorious and happy. And so will you be. It is not your money I want, but your happiness. And you and I will only... It, it won't be our, our just our, our money. It won't be just tangible resources. But it will be our hearts 
that God gets in light of an experience of grace in the gospel. Let's pray uh, as we come to the table here that we would experience this and it would work itself out in the deeds of kindness in our lives. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, as we meditate on uh, Your life, as we meditate on what produced a sacrifice of Your body and Your blood, uh, we stand amazed. We stand in awe. We stand in in wonder that You would, uh, all for the sake of love, uh, give of Yourself freely and willingly. And we pray, we, we, this morning we ask that you, you would forgive us for our selfishness, for the ways in which we covet, for, for, for our fear, uh, for, for all the ways in which we seek to be nice and kind to those around us, but at all for the sake of ourselves. We pray you would forgive us, Lord Jesus, and we pray as we have looked at you as we have seen Your Gospel, as we have seen You glorified, as we have seen You crucified, as we have read of and and, and listened to love as it was produced in Your life, that You would change our hearts from the inside out, that You would melt our hearts at the wonder of Your work, and we would be changed. And it would produce, it would work itself out It would bear the fruit of kindness in our lives. We pray that You would do this in us for the sake of our city and our world, for Your glory. In Christ's name, Amen. Um, We do come to the the Lord's Supper uh, on a monthly basis. And so we do that uh, this morning. Uh, I want to read to you from um, a couple of words of Jesus. Uh, before I do that, just want to encourage you. This is uh, a table for those who uh, have put their faith and trust in Him. Who put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. Uh, and so I would caution you, if, if you haven't, uh, come talk to uh, one of us about a desire to do that. Uh, so that you can come and, and eat this table. Uh, in a worthy manner. It's not uh, the table of uh, Redeemer. It's not the table of the Presbyterian Church in America. Uh, it's the table of Jesus. Uh, and He invites us to it. And He serves us as we come. Uh, I would also remind you and, and caution you uh, that if if there's not peace in your life or in your heart, if there's something that uh, you need to deal with, whether it be in a relationship, uh, whether it be... Uh, in, in some other arena here, if there's not peace and you need to be reconciled, Jesus said if you're, if you're coming to the altar, you remember something, leave your gift, go and be reconciled, go and, and, and work for peace and come back and then offer your gift. Uh, and so we would just caution you this morning to search your heart, look at your motivations in relationships, in your own behavior, uh, and if there's not peace. We would ask you to uh, refrain. Come back next month. Uh, we'll be here and uh, the Lord's table will be here also. So let me read a couple of words to you uh, that Jesus said. He said, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. He said, uh, My flesh is true food, and My blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on Me abides in Me, and I abide in him. Uh, there is something very mysterious about this table when we do it. Uh, but there's something very, uh, very securing about this experience. That you get to come and you get to taste the body broken for you. You get to come and you get to taste the, the sweetness of the juice where Jesus tasted the, the bitterness of the cup of God's wrath. Um, our prayer is that as you experience this, uh, you would see Him and wonder at what He has done and your heart, once again, would well up uh, with praise and your life would then overflow into a life of sacrifice. And so, uh, to remember the words uh, that Jesus gave to us as we come to the table, on the night he was betrayed, he, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Uh, whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. And then after supper, uh, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, uh, he gave it to his disciples and he said to them, drink this, all of it. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. And so we have his body broken and his blood shed for us. Uh, let's pray. And as I'm praying, uh, ask our, our servers to come forward. Uh, the way this will work is we'll have a, a couple here serving and a couple here serving. Uh, if you would, just come down uh, as you feel led. Uh, take a piece of bread and uh, take one of the, the cups. Return to your seat. And when everyone has uh, both elements, we'll partake all together, okay? So let's pray and, uh, and then we will have our communion. Uh, Lord Jesus, we do bless You and thank You for Your body broken and your blood shed. We pray that as we take of that now, as we experience that sacrifice, uh, that you would be present with us, that we would experience you, that you would serve us, and that as we take this body, we take your blood, that you would indwell us, that we would abide in you, that you would abide in us, and that we would be changed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please come as uh, you feel it.